Hey, welcome to the Mentally Chill Podcast. It's your host, Kristen Carney, and you just heard the Thunder intro. Normally, I save that for a few minutes in and use it to introduce the guest, but I used it just now because the guest happens to be here with me, and I must say, she is quite the looker. Not much on the smarts, but very attractive. Uh, Kristen Carney, everybody. Hi, thank you for having me. So glad to be here. Uh, I'm the guest today. It's just me. We're alone. We're going to get intimate. And the reason I am doing this alone show is because I posted on Instagram saying, do you guys want the drug rehab story show today? Or do you want just me alone talking about anxiety today? And 53% voted for me talking about anxiety, which of course gave me anxiety. But I wanted to be a woman of the people and listen to the people. So I am giving you what you're voting for. And uh, I'm going to be talking about anxiety things and some other things I've been meaning to get to. But before I get to the other things I've been meaning to get to, I, of course, have to say thank you to the new Patreon people, Jerion or Jerion. I don't know. It shouldn't be this hard. Why is you guys with these names? Can you just please be Dave, Becky? I'm not saying just be white. I'm just saying I sound really dumb. I don't know, Jerion, J-E-R-O-E-N, Jerion, Jerion. It's probably beautiful in French, and I just can't do it. I wish I could. Um, please teach me. Uh, Jerion, Michaela, and Nathaniel, thank you for becoming new cult members. And the reason it sounds culty to me is because when I send a thank you to someone for joining, sometimes I'll say, we're so glad you're here. Or we are so glad you came or something to that extent. And I can see that almost over the door of a very creepy cult. Then you walk in and women are just sitting there and long skirts sewing. And the men are watching over them with long hair and beards. And then I enter with Kool-Aid. That's right. It's a real cult. But that's what I picture, so I feel weird when I say that. But anyway, no Kool-Aid yet. You guys know I'm not great in the kitchen, so the Kool-Aid will probably take a while to come. But anyway, for now, we're just a plain old Patreon page. No cult yet, but we'll get there. So, okay, one of the things that I've been meaning to get to since the beginning of June is a story about what happened on Stevie's birthday this year. So I was home at my parents' and... My dad asked me to go on a bike ride with him because he's been doing this bike ride for 40 plus years. Talk about mental illness. He does not do anything different. He does not deviate from his routine. This is the exact same route for 40 plus years that he has been riding his bike down. And he seems totally content. And that's amazing. And I'm so jealous that he's content by it. But having me join does shake it up a little bit, but shake it up within his comfort zone. So I was on a bike ride with him and... It's not like uh, we're cyclists, you know, with the tight spandex get up on. We're in our, you know, sweatpants or looking like weirdos on our bikes. And it's leisurely, but a good workout. It's 10 miles. It's decent. And he asked if I wanted to stop for coffee. And so there aren't many places to choose from in the area. So we tried to go to Dunkin' Donuts, but there was nowhere to sit outside. And my dad loves to just sit and look and look at people and people watch and or freak watch more apropos uh but there was nowhere to sit so we didn't stay at Dunkin Donuts because we wanted to be outside and then we went to another mom and pop place and they were closed so we went to this place that overlooks the Erie Canal which runs through uh, the state of New York and it's not super scenic it's not terrible looking but it's not the best looking body of water you'll ever lay your eyes on but regardless it's very pleasant and serene And I thought this would be a good moment to post about Stevie because it was her birthday. And so I took out my phone and um, was going through her Instagram and Twitter. And I was talking to my dad about her and telling a couple stories or just reminiscing. And I got pretty emotional and I had, you know, a couple tears roll down the cheeks. And I felt very just at peace and connected with her and everything not everything, but with that scenario, I, I just felt, I mean, I felt very sad, but I felt like a warmth thinking about her. So anyway, uh, we sat there for a while and then we were about to leave 
And so my dad got on his bike and I said, wait, hold on a second. I need to use the restroom. And so, but I really, I probably said, dad, freaking wait, I got to pee. I probably have something closer to that. So anyway, I used the restroom. I go in there and I think it was on an episode, but I had said to Stevie shortly right before she died that, but again, not knowing that what was to come, but I said, if you go, if you die, please leave me blank checks or cash or something. I think it was blank checks, but it, you know, the statement was leave me money. And it was joking and in reference to the story that I told her about my grandfather leaving me pennies and how I love it, but I would love if it was a higher denomination. So anyway, um, I had just finished posting about her, just finished shedding some tears, and I go into the bathroom, I get into the P position, The it's not like a letter P, but a squatting position to go P without touching the toilet seat with my rear end because diseases and good quad exercise, glutes, maybe. Um, and I started to go to the bathroom and I looked down and right to the left of my foot was a perfectly folded $20 bill. And I just thought that that was so amazing. And I could be out of my mind and assuming it was more than it was, just like I could have with the butterfly moment. But it just was too coincidental. I mean, I had just finished talking about her. And and honestly, I don't, you know, to my parents, I'm not talking about her constantly. It's not a general conversation I'm having very often with my family. And for that to have that type of timing, I just knew it was her. And she gave me 20 bucks because I asked her not to leave me pennies. And she didn't leave me pennies. She left me cold, hard cash. And it was pressed just perfectly. It was an amazing moment. And I said, thanks, Stevie, and I know it's you, and I know you're here. So anyway, I've been meaning to tell you guys that, and it just adds to how cool she was and how amazing she was. Of course she's going to leave me $20 bills because she's a badass, and I know if she could get her hands on a couple hundreds, she would. But the problem with things like this happening is that I get spoiled because I want that to happen all the time, I and not for the money, you know, not to have a couple extra hundo a month, but because I want to know she's here all the time. And so when it doesn't happen, when I'm thinking about her, it's disappointing, but then it wouldn't make it special and it wouldn't be a moment, but it is like, oh God, that was amazing. Please do that again. Please let me know you're okay. Please let me know you're here. So anyway, that's that story. Hopefully um, next year uh, I'll have a cool story again as well. And the other thing that I wanted to talk about is this cool thing that uh, a friend of mine on Instagram told me about, and then Galicia listener did as well. And it's testing your DNA to see if you're predisposed to things like depression and anxiety. And if you are, what medications would be best suited to treat you? So it takes away a lot of the guesswork, both in the prescribing process, but also in your own process of trying to come to grips with accepting that you have depression or accepting that it's okay to be feeling the way that you are. You know, I think a lot of people when they get depressed or feel they have depression, they wonder if they're just being dramatic, if it's their fault, if they're just lazy. I'm pretty sure though, if they had a test to test for laziness, I would definitely come back positive. If I became completely undepressed, I'm pretty sure I would still be lazy. That's one thing I'm sure of. But this is a really cool thing. I really want to try this. I think it sounds awesome. The process of getting it done sounds pretty simple. So according to my friend on Instagram, he just went to Ancestry.com and ordered a DNA test. And then he had the raw data. And he ran that raw data through this website called uh, Prometheus. P-R-O-M-E-T-H-E-A-S-E. I think it's .com. Yes, it is .com. So it's Prometheus.com or there's selfdecode.com as well. And then there's another site called genesite.com. Uh, G-E-N-E-S-I-G-H-T. But he doesn't recommend that one. But I see his results. He sent me screenshots of some of them and it's really interesting. It's, you know, it's got a grade letter next to how he'd respond to lithium, to aspirins, to exercise, and 
I definitely, definitely want to do it. And so I think on Ancestry.com, it's like a hundred bucks or something to get your DNA test. And I think he said it's only like $10 to run it through Prometheus or Self-Decode. I think they're doing it through health insurance as well. I don't know all of those details, but it's definitely something to look into. I'm definitely going to look into it. And if it reveals that I'm not predisposed to depression, I'm going to be so embarrassed, really embarrassed because it's like my thing, right? It's like my, my shtick. Uh, I want to talk about anxiety for the rest of the show, but I've said before, doing this type of podcast about mental health, I only have so many problems. And in my mind, I imagine that would get boring to hear the same problems over and over and over. But I'm kind of excited to announce, I think I have a new problem. And it's not just anxiety. It's something else, which I will get to while I'm talking about anxiety. But I feel very blessed that I have a new problem because that's new content. And in Hollywood, kids, content is king. And you know what else is king? Me not saying that phrase. I will not say that again. On to anxiety. On to anxiety is something that I say daily now because I'm always on to anxiety lately. So I've said before, I'm not sure if I have anxiety attacks or panic attacks. So I Googled it. What a concept. I don't know why it took me so long to realize, oh, I could just Google this. So I Googled it. Now I'm a doctor. And the difference is panic attacks come out of nowhere and are brought on by seemingly nothing, whereas anxiety attacks happen in response to something, like a perceived danger or an event. So I've never had panic just strike out of nowhere. Definitely have never had that. I haven't been in the car and just driving and all of a sudden felt like I couldn't breathe and that I was going to die and all of that kind of stuff. Um, When I get my anxiety, it's definitely brought on by something. And so this is the thing that I'm realizing that I have, which is dependent personality disorder. And the reason I think I have that is because as a child, I remember my mom leaving to go to the store or go somewhere quick. And she never was a mom that was like out with her friends. The Cardis don't have friends. We don't have friends. It's having no friends would show up in our DNA. It would be on the test. We'd be D minus friends. They don't help anything. So my mom was not out with her friends or partying or being irresponsible. Not that being with your friends means you're irresponsible, but she just wasn't away from the house that often. She was not out all the time where I was worried about what she was doing, you know, she would just go to the grocery store and she would say, I'll be back by eight o'clock. And if it was 801 or even eight o'clock on the dot and she wasn't there, I would immediately catastrophize. And I was convinced she was dead or abandoning me, never coming back. Something terrible happened. And I would break down and cry. I remember being at my front window staring, just begging for the next car to be hers. Please be hers. Please be hers. And it's so strange because she never abandoned us. That's nothing I ever had to worry about. My dad was in the next room saying, "Uh, she'll be all right. She'll be back. You know, like he was right there. It wasn't like I had been left ever. But I realize I think that I place so much importance on the people that I love for my own survival my mental survival. Like I need them in this world in order to be okay. And I don't know if it's genetic necessarily, but my mom says that my brother would do the exact same thing. He would break down and lose it and cry and freak and just have a breakdown if she wasn't back when she said she was going to be. And my brother is seven years older than I am. So I never really witnessed that. I don't, I mean, maybe when I was a baby, and it stuck in my mind. I don't think I learned that behavior. It just felt so innate. Like, this is how I respond because because I'm very much a Murphy's Law type, which is whatever terrible thing can happen will happen. So the minute something is off, I, I panic. I go into f- extreme anxiety. And so I've been doing that lately and I've been doing that because I'm in a long distance relationship and 
I love my boyfriend so much that if he's not responding to a text right away, I mean, it's not like every single time, but if within a reasonable amount of time I don't hear back from him, I'm convinced something went terribly wrong. And being that we're in different states, I have no idea what the weather's like. Maybe he got into a car accident and, or if there was a shooting or, but I convinced myself that these things happen, even though I know logically he's just working. He's literally at work because he's an adult human being that is responsible and he's working. And I know certain scenarios he's in, he can't have his phone. So it makes total sense, but there's a timer that goes off in my mind. And when that timer goes off and I haven't heard back, the world has ended. And so the feeling that I get with this anxiety is very difficult to deal with and is very upsetting. And what it feels like is there's several components to it. I don't know about you guys, and I would love to hear your feedback on when you have an anxiety attack, what it feels like. Generally, my my components are, of course, a racing heart. I mean, it's just pounding heart. Butterflies in the stomach. Just feels like it, it feels like I'm about to go on stage naked and tell terrible jokes, kind of like I'm doing on this podcast because I'm doing this naked. Um, so just crazy amounts of butterflies. So we've got the heart rate, the butterflies. Then I'm starting to get, this is a new thing, but I'm starting to get burny, itchy skin, which I never thought I would have. It just seems too intense. But I have gotten to the point where my skin gets really itchy and warm. And I actually took a cool shower the other day to try to calm myself down, which did not help. Um, but then I also have this really weird feeling that I can't describe. And so I shouldn't try or attempt to do it now, but it's this weird out of body experience, but I don't know if it's an out of body. It's not, it's not the right word, but I did read that panic attacks, you do have that kind of depersonalization experience, but that wasn't under the symptoms of anxiety attacks. But I have this weird detached feeling that I'm not in the world with the people. And I'm I'm cut off from any sort of human connection. It feels like because of this monstrosity of an event, this horrific event that I believe occurred in my mind, I will no longer ever again be able to be around people that have any meaning to me or feel human. And I'm going to be alone and isolated for the rest of my life. But I know that's not reality, but it's this really strange feeling of being in this alternate reality of where no one matters and nothing is real or substantial, nothing else. It's, I don't know how else to describe it, but it's a combination of all of those things happening and I cannot calm myself down. And the only thing that calms me down is hearing back from my loved one and being reassured that they are okay. And the feeling of it lifting, it's just crazy. And so what what I feel like when that happens is almost like a it's not like an orgasm, but it's almost like just this like heavenly freedom feeling. And it's such a freeing feeling. But when I'm in the panic, I do this fortune telling or future seeing, not fortune telling, probably future seeing where I imagine, okay, so I haven't heard from my loved one, my boyfriend or whoever it is in an hour and a half. Okay, so I can handle maybe another hour and a half. But once that three-hour time window passes, I picture that moment of being three hours away from hearing from my loved one, and 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 I can't accept that painful feeling and that fear and that dread. And then I picture, oh my God, what if it goes all the way until tonight? And it's, you know, it's noon right now. And what if, oh my God, what would that feel like if I don't hear back from them by 
nine o'clock tonight, I am I am actually going to probably have a heart attack. I am not going to be able to survive this. And then what if I don't hear from him? It's nine o'clock at night. I hit that point. And then I don't hear from him and it's all night and I'm up all night. And then it's 6 a.m. and I still haven't heard. So I start seeing the future of how horrific that experience would be. And I can't stop it. And so it takes over the logic part of my brain, that anxiety. And the anxiety is like, no, bitch, I'm right. I'm right. Everything is going to go bad. Everything is doom. Everything is wrong. But then the logic side goes, okay, so they have a life and they're working and give them a little while. But that voice is so quiet and so subdued and such a pussy compared to the anxiety voice. And I just spin and spin and spin and spin and spin. And so the other day I had a really bad moment and I tried to get in the shower to cool myself down, you know, to just, my skin felt burny. I felt like I was spinning. Um, I do start to feel like I have like a shortness of breath. Sometimes I cry, but almost don't feel like I have the strength to cry because I'm so caught up in this anxiety. I can't, it, it doesn't allow me to cry. And I try really hard to not tell the person that I'm having this freak out and this panic because I don't want to be annoying. I don't want to be seen as needy. I don't want to be ridiculous. I don't want to be perceived as crazy, even though I have a mental health podcast he's pretty aware of my craziness. I keep it inside as long as I can. And then all of a sudden just bursts out. So if it's my mom, if it's my boyfriend, whoever it is, and I'm worried about them, I hit a point where then I just send a million texts in a row. And in a way, it's me pleading with the universe to please make the stop. If I send all these texts, maybe They'll feel them coming in and they'll come to their phone or something. It's the way, it's the only way that I can feel like I can solve it. So Jana, who listens to the podcast, suggested that I find a distraction. And I have tried to find distractions, but when I'm distracted or doing the thing that's supposed to be distracting me, I'm still focusing on the fear and the anxiety. And so I don't know what a good distraction would be because it's like I could be doing something else but you know I could be sewing or something with my hands but my mind would be on the anxiety and the fear and sometimes to get the energy out I will call my mom you know if it's my boyfriend I'm worried about I will call her and I will freak the f out and she'll kind of calm me down but for the most part I'm really on my own. And that's that weird out of body detached feeling where I feel like no one can solve anything and no one means anything because that one person that I need is, is gone in my mind. So it's the worst ever. It's such bad anxiety. And I do have some Xanax on hand and in, and stupidly I've, I don't take them when I'm starting to feel this panic because I don't, want to depend on the Xanax. And so I kind of just let myself suffer through it. But I am going to maybe start taking it a little bit. So the other thing um, that I wanted to mention with my anxiety, and it's something that honestly, I'm kind of okay with, sadly enough, but my anxiety has been so consistent lately, that I seem to have lost my appetite right in time for summer. It's great timing. My jeans are fitting amazingly, but it's not a healthy thing, obviously. And because I'm going to be heading back east soon and I'm going to see my family, I think I've lost a significant enough amount of weight not to need to, you know, have immediate medical attention, but enough where as soon as I see my mom, I know exactly how she's going to respond and what she's going to say. But maybe the ride back across the country, because I'm sure the only thing we'll really have access to eat are McDonald's hamburgers and chips, that maybe because I'll be with my dad, I'll feel less anxious and maybe I'll put on a couple before I get back home. But it is concerning and it's really crazy when your mental state shows in your physical state. And I noticed that about Stevie. And I'm, I'm nowhere near where Stevie was at all before she passed away. 
but the last day that I saw her, she was so incredibly skinny. And there's a skinny where it's like, ooh, you look great. And then there's a skinny that is like, oh, you look kind of creepy. And I don't want to hit that point. And I was just at a uh, friend's bridal shower the other night. And I didn't post some of the pictures because of how skinny I looked. And seeing pictures is actually a really good wake-up call because, well, yeah, they're a good wake-up call because you, when you see yourself every day, you're not in your in your mind judging yourself constantly. You don't see yourself the way that others do. But as I've been speaking, I've kind of been peeking, and I do while I'm taping this, I pause occasionally. And while I've been pausing or talking, I have realized that I think maybe what I experience through my anxiety is a dissociation or a detachment because what it's saying sounds so eerily similar to what I was just describing a few minutes ago about feeling like I'm in a world that doesn't matter because I just looked up on Wikipedia derealization and one of the common ways people describe it is a lack of coloring in the world and a lack of depth in the world. And I almost just, my mind was just blown just now reading that because what I had been experiencing, I genuinely in a million years thought no one would ever understand that feeling or that it would have a Wikipedia page. And it seems like there's definitely varying degrees and I think I'm on the minor end of the spectrum. But I did read that the out-of-body experience or depersonalization isn't a symptom of an anxiety attack. It's listed under the symptom of a panic attack. But I still don't think what I'm having is a panic attack. But it seems to be something that your brain does to protect yourself or in response to trauma. And I think I think I would have to guess that this is what I've been experiencing. And just like with the DNA test stuff, where if you have an answer to something, you feel more at peace with it. And seeing this, I instantly feel slightly more at peace that it's not just me. So, wow, crazy, 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 crazy to get answers. And I never thought, you know, you kind of give yourself a bar of like where you are on the chart of mental problems. And I feel like I'm mild, but this just made me feel like I'm beyond mild. So I don't know. It's comforting to have an answer, but not comforting when you find out what the answer is, I guess. The other day when I had another anxiety attack, I called my mom. I was in the car and I really felt like I shouldn't have been driving because I felt like I was on drugs. And I told my mom, I said, I'm having the anxiety is so bad. I'm having this weird feeling like I'm on drugs or something. And honestly, dear God, if that's what drugs feel like, why would anyone do that? That's I feel like I'm getting a really cheap high or something, but it's not a good one. This is not worth paying for, for sure. So if anyone offers you a drug that says, oh, you feel like it's like you're like not in you and you're dissociating, don't take it. Wow, what a shitty drug that would be. Don't do drugs because, man, you could just get them for free when you have anxiety. So just get really nervous, get really anxious, get in your head, you get freaked out. You'll save tons of money on drugs. And bonus, weight loss, blowing Jenny Craig out of the water, blowing the paleo diet out of the water. That's the thing with being skinny that I'll just talk about really quickly. It's the skinny fat thing where someone's small, but on the inside, they are so unhealthy. And I really feel like my body sometimes feels just like a breeding ground for cancer. And I have a lifestyle where I'm prepared for cancer. By that I mean, I chill in bed all day. I feel sorry for myself. I am, I am so primed and prepped for cancer. So if I get it, just know, obviously I don't want it and it's, it would be terrible, but it's like a, it's like how a runner trains for a marathon. He's prepped to be able to run 27 miles. I'm prepped to be able to accept that I have cancer because I've just been this breeding ground for it, I think. And, and I think for the sake of a shtick, I talk that up. I don't think I'm as unhealthy as I say I am. However, I think with the negative thoughts and a few too many uh, trips to McDonald's and I used to drink a lot of Diet Coke, all that just kind of toxicity, it's there. It's in my body. It's just laying latent right now. 
and it's being lazy, just like the body it's in. But one day it might come to the surface. And honestly, that's scary. And I will look back on this podcast and think, Kristen, you're such an idiot. You could have made a change right then and you didn't. But change, I think change also is what's been giving me this bout of anxiety because I'm excited to move to New York, but I'm also very scared. And so every morning when I wake up, I have butterflies in my stomach. It's a normal thing when I wake up in the morning to feel like I have drank four cups of coffee, but yet feel incredibly exhausted. And so it's like that anxiety with the depression. The depression makes me feel exhausted and lethargic and the anxiety makes me feel like I've got an engine revving and ready to go, but but you hit the gas and it just doesn't go anywhere. Anyway, I, you know, doing this podcast, it's really hard to not just sound like you're whining and feeling sorry for yourself and indulging all these negative things. But this is the content of the podcast. So I really have no choice because honestly, I'd love to be talking about hikes and cycling and how I think they're silly and other things that have nothing to do with depression. But this is the topic at hand. So yes, I'm indulging it. But right now I will stop indulging my experiences and I'm going to read some experiences that people on Patreon posted that they go through when they have anxiety. So I don't want to name names just in case, but uh, one of the listeners who uh, I like very much said, I've just developed weird feelings slash emotions slash whatever in the past year and a half. One of them being this crippling fear of flying and another being a fear of not having my fiance with me when I go to sleep at night. It's probably a dependency thing. So unrelated to what you're trying to determine with what you have, but it's strange. I typically relish in alone time, but now if I have a pet sitting job that takes me to someone else's house for an overnight or he's out with his friends until the wee hours, I'm terrified once I hop into bed. I've even taken to sleeping on the couch because it makes me feel more safe. I just all of a sudden imagine that a crazed person is literally going to bust through the door with a knife and stab me to death straight out of a horror movie. Ooh, sounds like a fun Friday night. It's like getting to live a dateline rather than watching a dateline. How exciting. And I envision it so realistically that I can actually feel a physical response to that scared emotion. Something I've been doing recently that has helped is taking magnesium theranate. It's really helped calm me down so that I don't feel anxiety or panic or fear as intensely. Happy to share the brand I got if you'd like to try. I know you said you take magnesium, but my Google doctor degree work, we both have Google doctor degrees, has informed me that the Theranate kind of magnesium is the way to go for a situation like this. Thank you for posting that. I, I had been taking magnesium for a while and I think and I think this is something I need to fix, but I do something for a few weeks, I don't see a difference, and then I just immediately give up. So I stop taking the magnesium, and I don't think it has the Theranate. So I'll check, but uh, I'm so grateful that I don't have that type of fear. I have a roommate that leaves the back door open constantly, and she's up in the middle of the night or falls asleep in the middle of the night, and our back door will be open because she wants her dog to go in and out. And I still have no fear of someone coming in and killing me or anything like that. I'm very, very grateful that I don't have that kind of fear. And so another experience from a listener wrote, I don't think I have ever had anxiety or panic to the point where it comes on as an attack, at least not in a long time. Anxiety for me manifests very subtly in the form of nervous twitches or tics. And I become aware of things like eye twitching or I have to actively assess where my head is based on my body and what my body is telling me. And I understand where you're coming from with the relationship thing. When I was young, I invested a lot emotionally into someone that, for lack of a better term, abused me mentally. And to this day, I have extreme difficulty opening up to people in relationships, mostly for fear of becoming attached to someone that may or may not be there in the long term. And the thought of how impossible it would seem to live without the reciprocal love and emotional support that only comes from close relationships. I don't know if I'm more scared of rejection at this point or acceptance. My subconscious tendency to fall back onto abrasive quirks seems to help keep the latter from happening too often. And then one more from a listener. And again, I would name names if I had permission, but I don't. I didn't know I was going to do this, so no names. Okay. Um, so this listener has schizophrenia. Schizophrenia affects the primitive part of the brain called the limbic system, which partly controls the stress response, fight or flight. Without heavy medications, I'm in constant state of stress slash anxiety. Fight or flight is misleading. There's a third response, deer in the headlights. 
most people with this disease have a disclination toward movement and are incapacitated by the stress without meds. There have been a couple of times where I felt like I was going to lose my shit, but I staved them off by sitting in a chair motionless while breathing deeply. I still get stressed even with the meds, but it's nothing I can't work with. Norepinephrine is the stress response hormone and meds block that and it works well for me. Boy, I want that med. Because that, that feeling that I mentioned, the out-of-body thing that I think is this disassociative thing, is truly the worst feeling in the world. And I and just reading your response right now, I don't want schizophrenia, but I felt relatively jealous in that you were able to stop it by sitting and breathing. I can't sit and breathe. Oh my God, I don't. It, make, it would almost make it worse. But he mentioned deer and headlights and this is totally off topic, but if you want to see a deer in headlights, tell the person at the checkout counter when they ask you if you found everything okay that you didn't, they don't know what to do. They have no response. I've done it like twice just for the sake of it, just to see the reaction. If they say, did you find everything okay? You say, no, actually you didn't. And they're like, oh, uh, okay. Um, well, that's too bad. And then they just continue checking you out. It's the weirdest. I'm telling you, just do it for fun. They really have no idea what to do or how to handle it. But anyway, reading those from listeners reminds me that I wanted to tell you guys, I want to post listener mini pods on the Patreon page. So if anyone has any sort of thing they think would be relevant to the community, an interesting story or an experience or um, something you had good results with, stuff like that please feel free to email it to me at contact at mentallychillpodcast.com. And you'd have to send it to me in an MP3 format or an MP4, I think as well. And really, you can just record right into your phone. So if you have a smartphone, there's a microphone, voice recorder, just use that app and then email it to me, contact at mentallychillpodcast.com. And I'm going to start posting them this week. So please send those to me. I'd love to share them. But to go back to the first blurb I read by a listener, she mentioned her fear of flying. And my mom has a fear of flying. I mean, she has a fear of pretty much everything, specifically cops when you're going under the speed limit. She's got no reason to be afraid of them, but she acts like she's got eight pounds of cocaine in her purse whenever we drive by a cop. It's like, we're not speeding. Why are you freaking out? But she read this book called White Knuckles, and she spoke really highly of it. Here's the thing. I think she's still afraid of flying. So it doesn't sound like a ringing endorsement of the book, but she recommended that I read it. I never ended up reading it, but uh, all the reviews on Amazon are very positive about uh, how much it helped them because I think it just explains what noises mean and how planes actually work and the forces they can really withstand. And so, yeah, if you're having trouble with the plane stuff, white knuckles, some Xanax, and a punch in the face good way to get through a flight. I've mentioned it on podcasts, I think, about my fear of flying, but for a really, really, really long time, my anxiety would be so crazy that I would really fear that I would freak and scream and make a scene and probably get put into a straitjacket and just say, let me off the plane. What you, you're all insane. We're about to be, you know, 36,000 feet in the air and what is wrong with you people? That kind of stuff. But I'm long over it and I think I'm long over it because I'm almost just like, I'm tired. I'm too tired to worry about it. If we go down, I'm cool. Whatever, it's been interesting. Peace out. But I have rituals and I think I might have mentioned them so I won't repeat them. But I've kind of used that as a gauge for where I am in life by not really caring if the plane goes down. I mean, I care, but really I'm like, well, it's just, it's too much to worry. I'm, I'm sick of stressing. And I've noticed that when I feel really depressed or down, I don't get freaked out by a cockroach. And I think that's my barometer for how happy I am to be alive. Like if I see a cockroach, because there's so many in LA and I'm not referring to the people, I'm talking about the actual bugs. But at night when I take my dog on walks, there are so many cockroaches. And before I jump and scream, and I know things are going well when I jump and scream, but when I see one, I just kind of shrug and I'm like, eh, that's a giant cockroach that probably weighs more than my dog. Eh, whatever. That's when I know things are going well. And I think that's when I realize I should be back on an antidepressant because the moment cockroaches don't freak you out, you've lost the battle. So use that going forward. If you're scared of spiders and cockroaches, you're doing okay. Things are going well. 
Okay, so enough about anxiety. I'm giving myself anxiety, talking so much about anxiety. I'm going to do some segments. And the first segment I'm going to do, it's so sad doing segments alone, but I'm going to do cooking with Carney. And the reason I'm doing this one is because I posted a picture of what I was making the other day. And I got a few messages of people saying, wow, congratulations, you're cooking. Now, the picture that I posted was of a frozen glob of fettuccine alfredo out of a package and I had it in a pan and it was totally still frozen and it's not attractive it's it's me before makeup it's not a good thing and uh, I thought it was funny how so many people congratulated me for cooking when that was so not cooking I considered that just as pathetic as my uh, chickpeas my garbanzo beans but I have to say it was actually pretty good so it's a Trader Joe's brand. Someone, I didn't post the bag, but someone wrote to me and said, oh, it's Trader Joe's fettuccine Alfredo. I used to do that all the time. And that surprised me. So I guess not many places sell frozen fettuccine in a bag, but it was really good. I just doctored it up with some salt and pepper. And, uh, and then once I got bored with it, I added, of course, Frank's Red Hot. So the recipe for this is very simple. Get up the motivation to go to Trader Joe's. Now I'm a little freaked because of the tragedy that took place in Los Angeles last week uh, or the week before with uh, the shooting there. And so I haven't been back to a Trader Joe's since. But when you're feeling not afraid of the world, go to Trader Joe's, go to the frozen section, look amongst all the many choices they have, because I'm just discovering the amazingness of Trader Joe's. And Jim Jeffries, a comedian who I talked about a few episodes ago, he is in a Twitter war right now saying how much he hates Trader Joe's. And I used to be in his camp because I never really bought the food there. He claims that the food is flavorless, but honestly, compared to food from any other grocery store, it's actually very flavorful and very affordable. But the stress of the parking lot, I used to say, no way, no food is good enough and cheap enough for me to deal with the Trader Joe's parking lot. And I really feel like 99% of road rage happens in a Trader Joe's parking lot. So I think they should do away with their parking lots. Their food isn't healthy enough to outdo the stress that you just endured from going to their parking lot. But I have crossed over. I am now on the other side and I have sacrificed whatever sanity I have left and gone into their parking lots. But anyway, so that's step one. Just get through going to Trader Joe's. Step two, get the bag Step three, go to their weird checkout where I don't know where I'm supposed to put my stuff. If anyone's been to a Trader Joe's, tell me why do you all act like it's so normal at their checkout? It's not. They have a tray that's hidden, so you have nowhere to set the basket or your items unless the tray is pulled out. And I didn't know about the tray. And so otherwise, then you just stand there with all your stuff. And then the other option is for carts and the cart you give to the cashier. It's just confusing. Trader Joe's, change your checkout, change your life. So... Fettuccine Alfredo in a bag, pop it in a pan, turn the heat up to medium, let that baby heat up, put it in a bowl, tons of salt and pepper, because it was a little flavorless, but I over salt and pepper everything, because that's the only seasoning I know how to use. And I don't even know, is salt and pepper considered seasoning? I don't think so. And uh, have a little Frank's Red Hot on the side, just in case. You've got yourself a really sophisticated, pathetic meal. So... That's cooking with Carney. And for my next segment, antidepressant of the week. So at the top of the show, I was talking about how Carnies don't have friends. We don't do friends. It's not our thing. However, I have a couple. But I always am a little distant from my friends. But I have a really good friend who came into town for her bridal shower because a lot of her family lives in California and Los Angeles. And so I went to her bridal shower and that's so not something that I do often because I don't have a lot of friends, especially female ones and especially ones that are getting married. And so I went to her bridal shower and that was nice because I bought a new shirt to wear and it was a bright color. I posted a picture on Instagram. It's a yellow shirt. I usually only wear grays, blacks, whites, browns, very monotone, but I went for it and I got a yellow shirt and I thought it was cute. The picture, it looks terrible. It looks really ill-fitting and maybe it looked like that in real life. But that was a nice antidepressant moment for me because it felt normal. It's something that normal people do. And for them, it's an everyday thing. For me, it's an occasion. So I was very excited. I got my nails done. And whenever I go shopping, I'm 
buying clothes, but I don't even have anywhere to wear them. So it always feels like such a waste. So it was nice to go shopping the other day and actually have somewhere to wear something that made me feel good. And I like her family a lot. So it wasn't uncomfortable for me. I know them pretty well because I've known her for a really long time. And she has been such a good influence on me. So for people who are overanalyzers and who are too self-aware, they should spend an hour with her because you see she's so unaware of her. Like she's she has no concerns with herself, but in, not in an asshole way. She's just kind of disconnected. And what that leads her to be is a really fun, carefree person. And when we were 18, we became friends. We met in college. And when I met her, I was blown away. I thought, who is this weirdo? Because no other girls had behaved like that around me. We met at a Dave Matthews Band concert and it was 2001, I think. We went to the same college and we were at this concert and knew similar people. And when we were leaving, I'd never just had a girl try to be friends with me out of the blue. And she said, follow me home. And this was before there were GPSs. So I had no idea where I was going. And she was just pulling U-turn after U-turn and driving kind of like a like an asshole, like a total idiot. And I had never, ever, ever, ever considered doing a U-turn up until that point. And it was so significant for me because I saw that she didn't get pulled over and that her life didn't end because she pulled a U-turn. And all of a sudden, I saw that it's okay to not be so aware and afraid of everything constantly. So she's been a really good influence on me in that sense. I'll never get to the point where she is, but I started to realize you didn't have to be so nervous about everything all the time. So seeing her was super great, and I'm going to see more of her because she lives in New York, so that's very exciting for me. And now to bring it down and end the show on a low note or a sad note, my apologies for doing so, but for a depression impression, I wanted to talk about a couple suicides. So you may already know of Oksana Shako. If you don't, she was a founder of Femin, which is a women's rights group, and it's famous for topless political protests. And she was found dead uh, in her home in Paris, where she was basically exiled to because of her behaviors in Ukraine and Russia or something, I believe. She apparently hung herself. And it's just like, whoa, man, another hanging. It's insane. It's weird and strange because these people just seem so badass on the outside and then they're so sad on the inside and she reminds me of Stevie in the sense that she just seemed like a tough girl with a really sensitive heart I really don't know much about her she could have another side to her that I I am not reporting on because I just haven't read anything to say anything besides what I'm saying but I've seen a couple photos of her and videos of her smoking. And the way she smokes, she smokes like a badass. She smoked like she was Stevie, like how Stevie would have smoked. They just kind of had this coolness to them, the way they held a cigarette. And and Oksana and Stevie, those are the people that we can blame for why people smoke because they made it look so freaking cool because they just have that aura. So I, you know... It's sad. She stopped, I guess, doing this feminine work and was painting and pursuing art. And so someone can be so brave on the outside and go do topless protests, but then be, and I don't want to say not brave enough to finish life, but, you know, you just think if they are strong enough to do something like that, they could be strong enough to survive and battle depression. But who we perceive as to be strong are just as weak as everybody else. So just so tragic. And then another suicide that I want to talk about has no name. I don't know the name of this person, actually. I can't remember. But it struck me so hard. I was scrolling through Facebook a few weeks ago, and I noticed someone commenting on someone's page. I have like 5,000 friends on Facebook. I don't know anybody on my Facebook page. And so this was some guy that I didn't know, but I saw he used to do stand-up comedy, and he looked so nice and so sweet. And so I saw so many different postings, so I got curious and investigated and then found a post by his daughter uh, asking for donations to their GoFundMe page to cover his funeral. And in that GoFundMe page, she said that he committed suicide. And that 
hit me so hard because it's the guys like him and the people like that that we don't see every day that are struggling so badly and they don't get any attention and they just go away and we all move on with our lives, move on with our day. We don't we don't even blink because we don't know to blink. And he looked like such a nice guy and such a sweet soul. And so wherever he is, I just want him to know that a stranger was thinking about him and that there are so many people like him that we lose daily. So it's crazy. It's just, oh, it's a cruel world we are in. But you know what also is cruel? Doing this podcast alone. But I made it. I did it. I made it. Ah, I'm at the end of the podcast. So thank you for listening to me do an alone show. I hope it wasn't boring. I hope you got something out of it. And if you didn't, next week, I'll have a guest back and we'll be having lots of laughs and lots of fun. And we'll just have a field day with sadness. So come back for that. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, because I was just talking about my posts, you can do so at Chris Karn. Or if you want to follow me on Twitter, where I post some one-liners and dumb jokes and some good jokes, but a lot of bad jokes, go to Twitter, obviously. And you can find me at Kristen Carney, K-R-I-S-T-E-N-C-A-R-N-E-Y. And for anyone in the Los Angeles area, I'll be at the Hollywood Improv tomorrow, July 28th, doing a storytelling show called Story Smash. And if you want tickets, I think the show actually does sell out. Every time I've been there, it's been full. So if you want to get tickets, get them quickly. And of course, you know there's Patreon. So patreon.com slash mentally chill. Please remember to rate the show. I see you guys. I know how many downloads I get. I can see the numbers. And there are thousands of you. Thousands that have not rated the show, I can see you. So I know who each and every one of you are. And I'll be expecting an iTunes review very shortly. So please do that. And uh, as always, remember, stay sad enough to listen, but not too sad. Bye, guys.